0: Welcome to Outsider Within, Critical Conversations in Education, a podcast dedicated to those whose voices are often silenced and whose unique knowledge and resources provide insight as well as practical solutions in the field of education. We will talk with leading experts who share their own experiences and expertise in navigating critical issues using their unique perspective. This week's guest is Dr. Roderick L. Carey. Dr. Carey is an assistant professor in the Department of Human Development and Family Sciences in the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Delaware. His current interdisciplinary research serves to make sense of the school experiences of Black and Latino adolescent boys and young men in an urban context. Welcome, Dr. Carey.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here to go with you all.
0: We're just going to jump right in. Can you tell the audience about yourself and your work?
1: Absolutely. I am a teacher, a researcher, consultant. I am a husband. I am a father of a toddler. I am a son. I am an uncle. And I am just trying to make my way in this world. (laughs) So I think combining all of that in my own lived experience as a, as a person who's really curious about how to make the world better for black and brown children and their friends and the educators that serve them and the youth workers that serve them as well i am a qualitative researcher uh, by training i teach mostly folks that want to go into the helping professions including educators and also human service providers as well at the university of delaware My research is under two main veins right now. I've been focusing a lot on how Black and Latinx boys conceptualize their futures after high school, really thinking about what kind of life do I want to live, what kind of career will set me up for that life, and also what kind of education I need in order to have that career and that life. So I call that the post-secondary future selves of Black and Latinx boys. But more recently, in the wake of Black Lives Matter movement projects, I have been thinking quite a bit about how to create schools where Black youth can infer their mattering. What does it mean to go into a school where you know you are important, where you know that you are valuable, and where you can infer your worth based on more than what you do, but who you are. So in 2019, I established what is called the Black Boy Mattering Project, which continues to the day where we actually spend time working with uh, black boys in urban schools to really explore this notion of what does it mean to infer your mattering to your peers to your teachers to your educators to your family members to your community members as well and also how can we imagine it differently that's kind of what i've been working on recently I have been very fortunate to have this work funded by the University of Delaware Partnership for Public Education, and also the Spencer Foundation. And also been working with a lot of awesome grad students at the University of Delaware around this work. I'm very proud of the work that we're doing, and I look forward to getting these articles out in the world so folks can learn about what we've been doing.
0: Yes, great work. Of course, I've followed you for a while now, and. I love how you are intentional and unapologetic with focusing your research, and not just your research, your time. You're vested. You're actually in the community. You actually do things to be the change that you want to see.
1: Well, thank you for saying that, Kayla. You know where where I was, you know, working in Washington, D.C., before I got into the academy. And I still think about these kids that I taught back in D.C. and before that in Boston about, you know... When I see them in in the context that I've been working in now, it's, you know, I'm still very much inspired by my early career as a high school English teacher. The other thing about my work is that, you know, I am at my core uh, an English teacher. I'm a high school person. Like I've been working with youth ever since I was a teenager. And, you know, the Black Boy Mattering Project is, for me, a very sustaining space for those like myself who want to continue to actually work with kids and and touch the lives of youth through the research capacity. You know, sometimes we go in there and we get amazing data, quote unquote, from our students. You know, we get just powerful quotes and uh, just amazing insights. And other days we go in there and we're just like, um... Y'all seem to be off today, so let's just talk about life. What's going on? You know, there have been times where I'm walking there with this really airtight interview protocol, and, you know, I really want to get through these questions, and then I just get in there and, you know, a participant had a fight with his girlfriend, or there was a fight in the building, or... Will Smith slap Chris Rock. We got to talk about that today, you know? <laughs> but, you know, so it's just like those types of things, you know, really shape the project to be very responsive to the boys that we work with. And I, I tell my grad students that we will mirror back to the boys this topic that we study with them. So we study mattering and we will work to the ends of the earth to make sure that our boys know that they matter to us. And even if that means we don't get the best data some days, uh, those kids will know that they matter to us. I think that that's just the power and potential of partnership work. And I know that all manners of folks at universities do this kind of stuff. So students know that they're working with me, that they're going to be working with real life young people and uh, that they have to show up amazingly for the kids so that the kids know that, hey, you know, you matter to us, you are important and we're responsive to their needs and their desires too.
2: So the current social and political climate is transitioning, if you will, and I'm wondering how you see your work impacting that climate as well as education.
1: You know, I ran the Blackboard Mattering project, just like everyone else. You know, who was doing work with kids back then. You know, it was like I think it was like March 11th. And oh my gosh, like we're supposed to go into the school tomorrow and do work with these kids, but there's like this virus thing that's going around on March 11, 2020. And I was like, um, I don't think I want to subject my grad students to the germs of the building. And I also don't want the boys that we work with to get our germs. Like, I don't know what's going on with this thing. So let's pause it this week. Maybe we'll pick it up next week. That was March of 2020. And if, if you would have told me, you know, what would happen over the course of those two years, friends, talk about disruption. You know, I had a project in schools working with kids that I had to move completely virtually. That's after I found them back. I had to find my kids and uh, I had to get them back into the, you know, to do these focus groups. But also I was studying mattering like during the second wave of Black Lives Matter. You know, I started Black Boy Mattering Project in 2019, but. As a result of the killing of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and then Breonna Taylor, we saw what the New York Times said was the largest social movement in the history of the United States, larger than um, the suffrage movement, larger than the civil rights movement, larger than the protests against Vietnam in the 1960s. And the most
0: inclusive.
1: And the most inclusive. And it was it was digital, too. You know, it was digital and kids were on the streets. Kids were r- risking their lives to be out on the streets to, to make their voices heard. And I was studying and mattering with kids. It was it was just amazing to do that work. And what I learned over during that time was that kids are really keyed into stuff, but what they didn't have sometimes was like the opportunities and the language to process it they told me that they saw like Black Lives Matter was coming up on their splash screens on their video games and Black Lives Matter was on the BET Awards and Black Lives Matter was on their phones and people were doing blackouts on their phones. And then you had the anti-Asian hate crime that happened. And then you had the insurrection of January of 2021. And kids were really left to see the social movement and be like, how do I make sense of all this? A lot of teachers were very uh, hesitant to engage around it because they were trying to be politically correct whatever. But they literally were looking at a social revolution from their phones being like, I don't know how to make sense of this. So I think that, you know, politically, kids are really keyed in. Sometimes they just need some help connecting some dots uh, between, you know, what's going on in themselves, what's going on in their communities and what's going on in the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, schooling is so important. And it does make me really appreciate the space we have to really have those conversations with our students. You know, it's one thing to go in and teach them as a K through 12 teacher, but our jobs is so much more. And Mm -hmm. that is an integral part of, I believe, what it really should mean to be a teacher. And so I like the way you you make sure that within your mattering, you utilize that space to really unpack the things that they are going through in general, the things that they're seeing, the things that are happening to them. They need to be able to have the tools to make sense of and explore their next thoughts and you know, how they're going to digest all of this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and I don't get it 100 percent right sometimes, you know, but I just I feel like we're just we're making some strides uh, to to deepen the kids' ability to process.
0: But we know that's part of the process. Like they have to know that we are imperfect. We're perfectly imperfect. And we have to model that for them that we don't know everything. It's important to kind of express yourself, but learn how to express yourself in a positive way. So I think we have to do that by role modeling. Um, And that's all an important piece. Judith? Rod, to Kayla's point and to your own work, you've written about the transformative spaces of activism with youth, and that a lot of the research details what groups and organizations will do with youth, but not necessarily what they've learned from youth. For um, listeners, can you talk a little bit about your experiences with what Black boys, Latinx boys have learned from that participation in activism?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's ever-evolving and, you know, sometimes I get kids or not even just me, but my my team of research assistants who work with me, they get the kids to really verbalize things that they're seeing and feeling in the moment. And we have interview transcripts of it, right? But there's other times where I think that we plant seeds by questioning with questions for them. Sometimes we'll ask a question about, um, I'll give you an example of a question that we ask. when you walk around this building, how do you know that you matter or something like that? What, what in this building, what in this school building signals to you that you are important? And some students, you know, adolescents, um, one of the reasons why I focus on adolescence is that they, they develop the ability to, um, for cognitive kind of abstraction, right? You can start to think in these abstract ways. So some students are able to just kind of just list some things that they really think are important. Others are just like, you know what, I have never thought about that. And I don't have an answer for you, but I'll think about it and maybe, maybe I'll come back next week or something with an idea. You know, so I think that what it does is it not only gets kids to think in the moment, but it also kind of plants some important seeds that they cognitively process over many weeks. Um, to think about. Just even asking a question, we try not to like implant things in them, you know, but, um, you know, most of it is, a, you know, we might follow up on a question and say, hey, you mentioned that you don't really study Black history in your class. Like, according to your definition of mattering, does that really speak to, <laughs> how does that contribute to your mattering or, or, or what we call your marginal mattering, your non-mattering in the building, right? I think like those are the types of things that that we do that really spurs, that gets at their learning. But the other thing is that I use various frameworks in my work. So one is like uh, critical consciousness, this idea of what does it mean to critically reflect upon something and then gain critical motivation to change the world and then take action steps to do that, to make the world better for your community or communities you care about. And what the research shows is that kids are getting better at critical reflection. But that critical motivation, that critical action really isn't there as much. What I think we've been able to do is through the process of just talking to the boys about the facets of their racial identities, we've been able to kind of spur them into these micro actions, right? So I'll give you an example, like one of our participants, um, he did his whole senior project on race and racism. And I was like, well, why did you do that? He's like, well, because of the conversation we've been having in this group. (laughs) And I was like, oh, wow, that's what's up. Did it inspire him to organize protests or a voter rights campaign? Not necessarily, but it did inspire him to deepen his learning enough to build his whole entire senior project. The senior project has a public speaking component and all this. So kids really do apply that stuff. And I think the other thing, the last thing, not necessarily from the Black Way project, but I was doing some, some work when I was at the University of Pittsburgh as a postdoc in the Center for Urban Education, uh, where I had the ability and the, the opportunity to work with eight different youth organizing programs in the city. And what we found was that kids not only learned about the content of their of movement building, but also skills. Like, How do you speak in public and how do you write letters and how do you build and how do you strategize? Those are the types of skills that you can apply to any facet of of life, not just uh, movement building for your communities. So the learning, it's it's very all-encompassing for positive youth development. You know, and we're, we're continuing to do all kinds of things with the kids. Like, we also do art making with the boys, you know, so they're learning a little bit about expression, you know, uh, learning about various artists that inspired them. We took them to an art museum and said, check out these artists, you know, so they're they're gaining an appreciation for art as a, as a way to express themselves and their own mattering alongside of just not only just language, but also artistic renderings of that as well. I think that, you know, our project, it's going to continue to evolve we're moving our project to another building and we're going to see um, that the school is a little bit different than the other one we're in and has its own challenges and also opportunities. So we'll see what, what it will afford us.
0: Yeah, I think for what you were saying, the idea of just that inspiring and, and facilitating that critical thought mm-hmm. and that idea that they do matter and to question how that plays out is really important. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I, just, I think, like, ideally, what I love to do is, like, get them talking to the point where, like, me as a researcher or one of my students can just step out, you know, have them go back and forth with each other about an idea. You know, and I think particularly for teen boys, you know, teen boys really need an opportunity to build with each other. They really do. And not just around athletics, but also just ideas. And what what I saw working with these kids is that, like, they disagree. They argue with each other around a point but man like they, they maintain the relationship and i think that that's important modeling for them uh, as they move into the adult spaces where you might disagree with folks but you can still continue to stay in relation with them and, and, and even deepen your relationship as a result of that conflict and that to me is when i get them arguing or debating a point <laughs> um, or or supporting each other around something, you know, someone has a the that they're dealing with, where I can move out of the way and be like, well, how do you think about that approach? I think I think that it's, uh, you know, it's hard to do that work over in virtual. It's even hard to do it in building. You know, kids, uh, uh, we have a chronic absenteeism challenges that we're facing. You have to realize that I'm working with ninth graders who haven't had a normal school year since seventh grade. You know, and they were just like, I don't even know, (laughs) you know, what's going on, or you know. So it's it poses all kinds of challenges.
0: That's a lot to unpack, all in itself. So, how do they matter um, in the world, even outside of your project, um, outside of their school? They get to unpack what does this pandemic look like, and do they feel that they matter, even on a larger scheme like healthcare? That's
1: a good point. Yeah. One of the key components of mattering is, and this is also, it's like, this is like a, the one that people forget about is like, mattering is about being important and significant, but it also is this feeling of being relied upon. Like, this idea of like, I matter to my family because they rely upon me for something, right? So, I have kids that are just like, hey, I'm like, do you feel like you really matter to your family? And they're like, yeah, I think so. I think I matter. And well, tell me, what does it look like? And you know, they talk about various things that they're in charge of, you know, various. Types. I'm like, that's that's a lot of responsibility. And during COVID, their families were like, we are trying to continue to work so that we can continue some economic stability. So we were relying on you to uh not go out, <laughs> or if you do go out to be very careful. That is straight up mattering, like survival is mattering, you know. <laughs> Similarly, uh, a lot of Black boys are not socialized to take care of young children. You know, we, we have a, a, a shortage of Black and Latinx men that want to go into the field of education. So I even ask my participants, do you take care of children? Do you take care of your siblings? And uh, they're like, no. I mean, after school, I go home and, like, I play football with him. And then I play the video game with him. And I make sure he eats. And I make sure he gets a bath. I'm like, that's a, that's taking care of children. Why don't you see yourself as a caretaker? <laughs> um, I feel like it's that language of taking care of kids. No, that's that's what girls and women do. You know, and of course, like, you know, I'm a professional educator. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with taking care of kids, yo. And I really think that you're really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should consider a job in education, you know? So I think that the, those little type of micro conversations can really shift the perspective of kids in various ways. And that's just mattering reliance, you know, your parents rely on you to take care of your your siblings. That's mattering.
2: It seems like after the pandemic, it seems as though the boys have taken away a lot out of that. And it seems to be very positive. But when you read the media, it seems that there's only learning loss and badness and no socialization and no this, that, or the other, but it seems like you have a different story to tell about the post-pandemic. And so along with the post-pandemic time, we've got um, all kinds of political things happening, and these young boys are coming of age to be able to vote and things of that nature. So are they aware of the social and political things going on now? What are they talking about post-pandemic?
1: Good questions. I think politically, I think that there's a lot of, especially where we live, the the political races in nearby areas are much more contentious than anything going on here in Delaware. You know, Dr. Oz, who is a Hollywood conservative, is running against a very progressive um, person for Senate. It's like they're inundated with those messages. You know, all you got to do is turn on the TV. But I, I feel like I don't, I'm not really sure if they're really keyed into that kind of stuff. What I think the movement did was they saw communities burning right communities and businesses that they had themselves gone to it made things real and what it did was is it created the kind of context for disagreements you know so critical consciousness is about critical reflection critical motivation, critical actions that middle part that critical motivation, Um, really, are you motivated to make change? And if so, how do you do it? Because look at all these protesters out here. Is it efficacious to burn a building in a Black community for the sake of Black lives? They'll have a whole debate on that. You know, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's a good thing because of this. It's a bad thing because of that. And I'm sure if you ask teenage boys 30 years ago during the L.A. riots, or 50 years ago during the riots in D.C. after the killing of Martin Luther King, the same question, you might arrive at the same type of thing. You know, this, you know this, this, these types of movement projects are kind of cyclical in some ways, at least in the tactics that folks are using. And I think that it was a really good learning opportunity for them. But I think that a lot of the stuff that's emerging as a result of the pandemic is really less political and more actually interpersonal. I think that they're just trying to figure out how to get their lives back. Like think about like what what being a teenager means. When you think of teenager, what do you think of? You think of freedom, gaining autonomy from your family. What does that mean? Leaving the house. You can't do it. Okay, well, what do you think about milestones, right? Like um, going to the DMV and getting a driver's license or um, getting a car or working a job. Mm, Can't do that, All right? Well. What about um, other milestones? Like, man, um, going to the dance, you know, getting an opportunity to go to the dance and dressing up and having that opportunity where people will take pictures of you and like, you know, you you look really good and you get an opportunity to, you know, like, that's not there either. Passing that person of interest in the hallway and trying to gain their number or building with them on Instagram and then seeing what they're like in person or, um, particularly for Black boys who are athletes, like having those opportunities to shine as an athlete in front of them and gain the adulation and matter to hundreds and hundreds of people in an athletic field or in a basketball arena that just don't have it, or it was cut short. So I think that what we're seeing is less about learning loss, but maybe kind of opportunity loss in some ways. They learned a lot, but those, those types of missed things. I've had kids that had all kinds of maladaptive, externalizing behaviors. Uh, One of my kids ran away. He was like, Dr. Carey, I ran away from home. Why? I don't know. Well, tell me more about it. (laughs) Again, this is something that was not on my protocol. It's like something that emerged, right? And I was like, what happened? He was like, I'm going to tell you what happened. I got like a bunch of Fs on my report card because I didn't do well with with the virtual learning. And I come from a family where like people don't expect me to get straight A's. And they definitely don't expect me to get no Fs. So I didn't know how to deal with it. And I just left. I'm not from like a bad family. I was like, well, tell me more. Yeah, you know, my dad and my mom, they don't make a whole lot of money, but they raised us really well. We're here, we're doing good. So I was like, well, what happened when you ran away? He said, I got to where I was going and 15 minutes later, my dad came and picked me up. (laughs) And I said, how did he know where you were? He said, because I told you, I don't come from no bad family. My, My parents know where I go and where I be at. You know, they know all my friends. Yeah, I walked for three hours, and I got there, and 15 minutes later, my dad pulled into the driveway and told me to get in the car, and let's go get something to eat. And I was like, all right. Again, that's like the behavior, that's like something that looks like like an 11- or 12-year-old to do, not like a 16-year-old. And I think that those times of moments, they're like surprising themselves with some of their their behaviors. Those are some of the things that we talk about, too. It's not just all like, you know, race and racism. It's just it's little, it's, it's things like that. That, that emerged too just interpersonal things that i think are have some sort of relationship to the pandemic to
0: so do you have any strategies that will help teachers pk12 and faculty members because a lot of faculty also don't have that connection any strategies that you would like to share to help teachers be more in tune with their students to care more about their mattering and their sense of, of belonging and their sense of Of being there and sharing that space.
1: I write about this idea called partial mattering, which is this idea of when you matter, but you only matter for like what you do. Typically, as an athlete or entertainer, and we see it a lot with black boys in K-12 and also in colleges and universities, where it's like you matter, but you know you matter for scoring a lot of points and bringing a lot of acclaim to this school, and we see that. And we will see the links that black boys go to do that, putting their body on the lines, you know, sacrificing, developing skills in other domains. Because really, all that society has offered a lot of these kids is that when you're an adult, the best thing that you can do as a black boy is become an athlete. In some ways, I've seen that to be very true, and it forecloses on their imagination to imagine otherwise. And sometimes schools reinforce that. What, what I've seen is that the boys will talk about, hey, you know, during the football season, they see me in that jersey. The educators be like, oh, yeah, good good luck with your game this weekend. And good. You know, how many points did you score last week? Man, man, double that this week. And on the surface, that seems like a really good way of connecting with a kid. And in November, you, you cheer them on. But what do you do with them in January and February? Do you give them those same types of supports? Because the kids are just like, they told me straight up, they're like, these teachers love us during the fall during football season, but when it's like spring, they never check in with us. What happened to those supports? So you were only supporting me so that I could stay on the football team or the basketball team as an athlete? And I think a lot of educators would probably say, absolutely not. You matter for so much more than that. And then, well, what do you do? So I think that that's the first thing is to see your kids as more than just athletes or, you know, or see them as more generally. So that's the first thing that I would encourage educators to do. The second thing I would I would say that really came out of the search and working with the kids was just like, this business as usual approach for these kids is not working. They were up there trying to go to these online meetings, in the classrooms and deal with all these technologies, you know, but they have like three siblings in the house. They got one laptop they're trying to share, you know, or somebody's on the phone and somebody's slowing down the internet one room versus the other. It was a lot of that going on. And I think that there was, it caused a lot of academic trauma to the point where kids are like, running away from home. You know, we need to really get back to this. Like, who are you as a student? What does it mean? Well, let's think about it. What did we learn during that time and how can we how can we build on it? That's something else I would encourage is uh, to refuse that business as usual. Let's, let's imagine education differently in, in the wake of Use it as an opportunity to change some things. And I think the last thing I'll say is that um, to really, really focus on relationship building. I know people talk about that a lot, but what does it mean Like the context of those relationships? One of the ways that when I ask kids, like, well, how do you know when you really, really fully matter to a, a teacher? They would talk a lot about this one particular teacher who they really, really liked. And I was like, well, tell me some qualities of that teacher. What does that teacher do that really makes you feel like you matter? And then one of my participants burned out, well, oh, he cries. Yeah, he like was asking us about COVID and like the the protests. And then he just got so emotional. He just started crying because he just really cares. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And I was like, well, tell me more about that. And he was just like, you know, a lot of these teachers, they just try to just act like this stuff doesn't bother them. And it's like, it bothers us. Why doesn't it bother you? So I would say that the third thing I would say is that teachers really need to model vulnerability for the kids and express it. And I think that what that does is it creates a shared humanity um, that the kids really do benefit from seeing and experiencing. How did you know that you mattered to that teacher? Well, because he cared enough about us to be vulnerable in that way. That's very powerful. And I think that's such a really compelling lesson for us all to learn from
0: well, we're going to wrap this up, but I have one last question for you. Yeah. In the spirit of critical consciousness. So what would your ancestors say about you and about the work that you're doing now?
1: <laughs> wow, that's a very, very deep, powerful question. I um, I come from on my mother's side of the family. I come from a family of educators. Uh, my great-grandfather, William James, set up schools for colored youth in the rural south of georgia before that was accepted uh, having his school burned down and he rebuilt that he didn't have a middle school named after him now william james middle you know i i summon that legacy of william james in in many ways this idea that a man who was from a very rural community only steps away from the from the cotton plantations that his ancestors worked was able to have the foresight to build community schools for the Black population. And while he might not have known much about post-secondary future sales, this idea of what happens with with your life after you graduate or move on, or he might not have had theoretical constructs around ideas of mattering, I can certainly think of very few projects that really speak to the ways that your future matters (laughs) more than what Uh, My great grandfather was able to do in Statesboro, Georgia, back in the 1920s and 30s, working diligently with funders to support his schools, to pay his educators, to create dorms so that the children could live on campus and not have to go back to their communities, you know, so that they could attend the school and and self-actualize in ways that made sense for them so they could build their own communities better. I think that he would be very proud of that. You know, I think similarly from my my dad's side of the family, uh, folks that are mostly from the eastern shore of Maryland uh, and the sea waves, uh, people who were enslaved on those plantations near the water. I think that they, too, who came from the rural to the urban to provide better opportunities for their family members, I think that in many ways, too, um, they were thinking about the futures of their generations. I think also, you know, this is not a project about ushering kids into adulthood or ushering kids even into whiteness. Um, Folks are just like, you know, we could do like, we could have them like learn how to tie ties and do all these types of things. I'm just like, you know, there's a time and space for that. But I'd rather us like really kind of enter their orbits and really understand their worlds and then usher them into understanding other worlds that might be out there for them. But I feel like so much what we try to do is we try to clean up black boys. We try to, you know, tell them to pull up their pants and tell them to cut their hair and tell them to do all this. And... I feel like those kind of respectability projects just haven't really gotten us as far as I think um, they were intended to. And that's just not the goal of my work right now. And I think that my ancestors will be cool with that too. I'm trying to get us free, to so ever evolving journey. And I'm not sure tie tie workshops is, is my is my is my goal right now. I did go to Catholic school and I, I wore a tie every day. <laughs> And so I do, I struggle with that. You know, for my boys, I've seen men who wear ties every day get killed by police. And uh, I've seen men who wear ties every day get spirit murdered in corporate America, making six figures. That's just not what I'm trying to inspire my kids. If they go that route, then that's fantastic. But I do think that, you know, I'm not going to push them there. I might show them, hey, this is an opportunity, this over here is too. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about. I hope that i make the ancestors proud if i'm not i am trying every single day
0: (laughs) thank you so much for joining us rod and for being our guest today
1: you're so welcome i'm so honored to be here thank you so much the questions were fantastic it was great to have a discussion with y'all
0: thank you for listening to the outsider within podcast we the producers are university teacher educators and we know how hard teachers, administrators, and others who support public education work towards access and equity. We welcome your thoughts, comments, and suggestions for future episodes. Find us at criticalissuesandeducation.com and be sure to follow us on social media. Yours in solidarity.